Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, August 23rd. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. A major victory in the push to expand vaccinations. The Pfizer coronavirus vaccine getting full FDA approval. The president addressing the nation about the unfolding crisis in Afghanistan as U.S. airlines begin evacuation assistance efforts in the region. And Tropical Storm Andre coming ashore in New England, pummeling the area with heavy rain and wind, more than 100,000 losing power after the storm makes landfall in Rhode Island. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with a historic storm slamming into New England. Henri at tropical storm strength, making landfall overnight. Rafael Rodriguez brings us the latest on the impacts being felt across multiple states. Early this morning, tropical storm Henri striking the northeast, making landfall in Rhode Island. It's the second tropical storm to impact New England since 2006. The wind was blowing like crazy and all of a sudden I heard this crash sounded like a train really the storm left 140,000 households without power from new jersey to maine <laughs> look at the tree they snapped the poles they this services ripped off the houses that were connected to them a transformer on fire in narragansett wcvb catching this man struck by intense wind i tried to take cover behind there just to get some photos and uh a gust must have just taken me out. In Massachusetts, winds gusting to 59 miles per hour, this tree splitting, falling on top of the roof of this house. In Connecticut, nearly 250 residents cleared out of their nursing homes, the state drenched by heavy rain. These siblings and their dog rescued in New Jersey, first responders on high alert, rescuing hundreds. My backyard actually turned into a um, lake. Uh, it was a normal backyard. But um, as you can see, um, you could probably put your kayak in here and kayak through it. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. Now to the crisis in Afghanistan. President Joe Biden addressed the nation on Sunday, saying U.S. troops could stay past the August 31st deadline to ensure all Americans are evacuated as the chaotic situation at the airport grows more dangerous every day. The race to evacuate Americans and allies in Afghanistan growing more urgent as new threats emerge. We have a long way to go, and a lot could still go wrong. President Biden addressing the nation, warning of possible attacks from ISIS as thousands pack the airport. We know that terrorists may seek to exploit the situation and target innocent Afghans or American troops. As a defense, aircraft releasing flares to distract any heat-seeking missiles that might target planes. The president also admitting there are discussions underway about extending the August 31st deadline for troops to leave. Biden saying they are extending the perimeter around the airport to help protect get there safely. However, the situation remains dangerous. There are insurgents outside the airport and they're trying to push people and they're trying to scare people. I'm seeing people dying in front of me. The United States now activating the Civil Reserve Air Fleet only the third time in its history. Six U.S. airlines will provide 18 aircraft to help move passengers arriving at base outside of Afghanistan. The journey out, 
Just as dramatic as the scene on the ground for some, an Afghan woman going into labor on a U.S. military flight while fleeing. The baby delivered in the cargo bay after landing in Germany, both now in a medical facility and in good condition. The U.S. Embassy warning people not to travel to the airport unless they receive specific instructions to do so. A NATO official confirming that at least 20 people have died in and around the airport since last Saturday. Among the victims, a two-year-old. She was trampled to death. Her mother is a former interpreter for an American company. Meanwhile, Afghanistan's economy was already struggling before the Taliban ousted the U.S.-backed government, and it's not likely to improve, especially on basic necessities such as food. The World Food Program estimates some 14 million Afghans already are food insecure. A senior diplomat in Kabul issued a warning saying he believes not all Afghans who are eligible to, to get out will be able to do so. And joining us now to discuss the evacuation of Afghan allies is Adam Bates. He's a policy counsel at the organization International Refugee Assistance Project. Thank you so much for joining us today, Al. Adam, welcome to You News. Thank you for having me. What is your reaction to these images we are seeing at the airport in Kabul? I, I think it's the only reaction that anyone can have, which is uh, sadness and and frustration at, at the tragedy that's unfolding there and these images that, that we're seeing. Um, and, and I think worst of all, the fact that it was it was so preventable that um, the, the administration has had months uh, to prepare to protect uh, Afghan civilians on the way out of Afghanistan and, and simply hasn't done it, leading to this chaos at the airport. Are any Afghan allies with special immigrant visas being allowed into Kabul's airport? So there have been some who have been able to get into the airport and get on airplanes and, and out of Afghanistan, whether to directly to the U.S. Uh, or to other locations in, in, in other countries. Um, but the, the situation at the airport has only gotten more chaotic. Um, it's, it's repeatedly being shut down. Uh, there are massive crowds. There's very little uh, um, order or organization in terms of um, knowing who people are, knowing uh, people knowing who should come to the airport, who shouldn't come to the airport, um, which family members can come to the airport. Um, so there are on occasion people being brought out, but it seems to be right now entirely random, entirely arbitrary uh, and extremely dangerous. And I also can't help but think about those other people who are in, in other areas of Afghanistan who are further away and don't have access or easy access to the airport. Now, do you have direct contact with Afghan allies who are still unable to get out of the country? What is their current situation? Uh, yes. Yeah, so we, my organization represents uh, SIV applicants and, and other refugees across, uh, you know, across the globe, but a, a lot of clients in Afghanistan. Uh, people who are not in Kabul and are not able to get to Kabul, uh, the U.S. government is essentially offering them no assistance at all, no, no way to get to Kabul, uh, no evacuation options outside Kabul. So um, those Afghan allies who are in other cities or can't make it to Kabul are essentially um, on their own, either to, to protect themselves and make sure that they're safe or to, to get out of the country um, without the assistance of the United States. Now, the pace of evacuations has picked up in recent days. Are you hopeful that everyone who has the right paperwork 
will be able to get out. We have heard some mixed messaging or opinions on this. Some say it won't happen. I, I think hope, hopeful may be too strong a word. I, I mean, obviously, we're hopeful, and everyone who's involved in, the, in on this issue and with this community is, is very hopeful. Um, but the pace, the pace needs to pick up fast. The administration needs to get control of the airport. Um, things need to become safe and orderly. Uh, and I think we're, we're, we may be past the time when uh, to worry about what specific paperwork people have. People have, have burned their paperwork to keep it from falling into the Taliban's hands. People have had their paperwork stolen. Uh, the priority at this point should be making sure that all of these at-risk Afghans are protected and are taken to safety. Um, the processing uh, and paperwork can come later, but the, the urgency needs to be to evacuate these people to safety. Now, how can people help Afghans arriving in the U.S., perhaps with donations? So Afghans arriving in the U.S. Um, are going to be assigned most likely to, to local resettlement agencies. Um, so one thing people can do is, is look up who their local resettlement agencies are. They're different in, in different states and cities. Uh, and then contact those agencies to see if they to, to see what they need. Uh, the other thing people can do is continue to put pressure on Congress, on the media, on the Biden administration, especially uh, to 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 stay in the airport, to keep the airport functioning uh, until everyone is is protected. And I think putting that pressure on the administration is, is the best thing that people can do to protect Afghans right now. Well, thank you so much for your time. Adam Bates of the International Refugee Assistance Project. Take care. Thank you. Turning now to the pandemic, a major development happening today, which could boost efforts to vaccinate more Americans against COVID-19. This coming as a new study from Israel finds a third shot of the Pfizer vaccine significantly lowers the risk of infection in people over the age of 60. Grecia Lastra has the latest. This morning, a pivotal moment in the pandemic, the FDA granting full approval to the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine this morning. It's a move that could help convince more Americans to get vaccinated. For businesses and universities that have been thinking about putting vaccine requirements in place in order to create safer spaces for people to work and learn, I think that this move from the FDA when it comes will actually help them uh, to move forward with those kind of plans. The announcement comes as the daily case average in the U.S. reaches 137,000, up to 230 percent in the last month. It's the never-ending story, and the biggest question is, when is this going to stop? According to this doctor, the health system has collapsed in Metropolitan Houston, where 33 out of the 35 hospitals are no longer accepting new patients. The projections are at the end is going to be sometime around March of next year. That's the projections. But the projections don't take into consideration human stupidity. Doctors say the overwhelming majority of new patients are among unvaccinated people. Data shows only 46% of 18 to 24-year-olds are fully vaccinated. The White House is now teaming up with social media stars. I wanted to take this time to really urge all of you guys to go get vaccinated. To help debunk disinformation about the shot and flood TikTok feeds to encourage young people to get vaccinated. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for You News. And in late-breaking news, the Pentagon says it will require service members to receive the COVID-19 vaccine now that the Pfizer vaccine has received 
full approval. A Pentagon spokesperson said guidance is being developed and a timeline will be provided in the coming days. And the COVID-19 death toll continues to grow. Conservative talk show host Phil Valentine has died following a high-profile battle with the illness. His employer, WWTN Radio, made the announcement Saturday asking listeners to keep the Valentine family in their thoughts and prayers. Before becoming infected, Valentine repeatedly downplayed the importance of COVID vaccinations on his radio show, but the Nashville-based 61-year-old radio star reversed his opinion after being hospitalized. His brother Mark said Valentine became pro-vaccine before his death and begged his listeners to get vaccinated. Meanwhile, civil rights icon Jesse Jackson and his wife are now both hospitalized with COVID-19. The Reverend Jackson, who is 79 years old, and Jacqueline Jackson, who is 77, are both being treated at Chicago's Northwestern Hospital. Reverend Jackson has spoken in favor of the vaccine and was photographed getting vaccinated, so this would appear to be a breakthrough infection. Doctors are monitoring the condition of both husband and wife. On Capitol Hill, divisions among the Democratic Party could soon be coming to a head. And that's because lawmakers are set to take on the issue of infrastructure this week. One of their first acts of business will be a vote on a budget resolution for the president's spending package. The sweeping legislative package could pass under a budget process called reconciliation, which would not be subject to the Senate's filibuster's 60-vote threshold. But a group of nine moderate House Democrats are holding that up. They want to first pass a separate $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure deal that the Senate already passed. Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the White House has already expressed interest in passing the two bills simultaneously. Meanwhile, the battle over voting rights in the U.S. will likely heat up again this week. In Arizona, the audit report of 2.1 million ballots cast in Maricopa County in the 2020 presidential election is supposed to be delivered today to the Republican state senators who ordered it. The company conducting the so-called audit did not follow standard auditing procedures and election experts have said for months that results will not be credible. In this report, in Texas, Democrats in the State House have ended their quorum-busting effort to freeze a restrictive voting bill. And today in New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo's official last day in office. His resignation takes effect at 11.59 p.m. And at midnight, Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul is set to be sworn in. Cuomo announced his resignation two weeks ago. He was facing impeachment after the state attorney general released a report finding he had sexually harassed 11 women. Cuomo has denied all of the allegations, saying he never touched anyone inappropriately, but acknowledged that some of his behavior made others uncomfortable. And in Portland, a gathering bills as the summer of love turned into a violent clash between the left and the right on Sunday. Several dozen identifiable Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer members scuffled with a similar number of Antifa members. Smoke bombs and flashbangs were thrown and both sides used pepper spray on each other. According to authorities, the gatherings were protected under First Amendment rights. There have been no reports yet of any serious injuries or arrests. Yeah. 
On Friday, a Supreme Court justice halted a federal court order requiring the Biden administration to resume the stay in Mexico program. Now a final decision is expected tomorrow. Emilia Darquea has more. The stay in Mexico program that forced asylum seekers to wait in that country for months and up to years for their court appointments was supposed to start again on Saturday due to an order of a federal judge requiring President Biden's administration to resume the program. But on Friday, it was paused at least until Tuesday by Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito. This Guatemalan mother, who has just arrived in Ciudad Juarez, does not mind having to wait. We have hope. The only thing we have to have is patience. There are moments when we despair, but we continue trusting in God and in the law. In its petition to the Supreme Court of the conservative majority, the Biden administration argued that the measure had been enacted for over a year and that abruptly reinstated, it would unleash a diplomatic and humanitarian crisis on the border. Medium, a Salvadorian mother traveling with her three-year-old child, is afraid to be in Mexico. Here, I don't know what dangers I could be exposed to because of the cartel's kidnappings. In his first day in office, President Joe Biden canceled the Stay in Mexico program and allowed more than 13,000 registered migrants to enter the United States. Border shelter managers are concerned about the restart of the program. It would be another nightmare for people coming from Central America. There were people who waited up to three years. The shelters are already overcrowded. The government of Mexico said they are also going to have some power to say whether they are going to continue accepting people back or not. The Department of Homeland Security has not provided details on how it would process a new phase of the Remain in Mexico program, if it was forced to implement it. Reported in El Paso, Texas by Maria Eugenia Payan, this is Emilia Darquea for U News. The deportation of Central American migrants to El Cebo on the border between Mexico and Guatemala has created a humanitarian crisis. They arrive without any resources and with serious psychological trauma. Randall Summers has a look at those who are increasingly desperate there. After deportations of Central Americans to El Cebo, Guatemala, aid from humanitarian groups is beginning to arrive. Migrants arrive here hungry and without money. Maybe they have taken a loan or sold their house and come here defeated, with what they bring in their hands, their children, or nothing. This group of volunteers, upon hearing that hundreds of deportees had no support, came from another community to hand out food. Coffee, beans, rice, pure water, nothing else is what we get, right? The volunteers say that in this town there is a lack of everything. There are no public toilets here. You have to pay to go to the bathroom. When there are too many migrants, two bathrooms, three bathrooms are not enough for them. The biggest problem, they say here, is that you never know when they arrive and in what conditions. We don't know how many people are coming. We don't know if they have food. We don't know anything. The migrants come here torn by sadness. They feel that they were cheated by the United States and scammed by human smugglers who assure them the border is open, this deportee told us. We had been told by the coyotes that they were crossing through, and still the coyotes continue to pull people in. They don't tell them the truth. These people arrive with emotional trauma due to everything they've experienced. The psychologist at this migrant's house in El Cibo said about the administration of Joe Biden, they say it's worse than Donald Trump's, according to this psychologist. 
este gobierno se refieren como que es más agresivo. This government is referred to as being more aggressive, as if it doesn't talk much in the media, but it is executing. According to Cano, it will take time for these migrants to recover from the psychological damage. Reported on the border of Guatemala by Pedro Otreras, Randall Summers for U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. That would essentially put an end to the longest war in U.S. history. This is the interior of a stash house that we found in this right along today. State authorities recommend avoiding them at night. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. Many girls who missed their quinceañera party because of the pandemic will be able to light their candles this year, even though they are now 16. Azul Alvarez explains the new requirements for these traditional Latino celebrations. The longed for days has arrived for many quinceañeras. With a beautiful dress and surrounded by their family, the young women are finally celebrating that special moment in Latino culture, only that now they are 16 years old. I didn't want a quinceañera because I was already 16 and I thought it wouldn't be a regular quinceañera anymore. The pandemic not only canceled her dream, but may have also caused thousands of dollars in losses for her parents. Originally, the day was April 2020, and finally is going to happen this year, September 18, finding a date that worked for all the vendors not to lose money. Those who depend on social events like this photography and video team say that in this 2021, they're making up for lost money. We are now retaking all events of 2020. We are overloaded with work for 2021. Celia Barros is like the fairy godmother of the quinceañeras, and as event coordinator, she's had to balance between making a dream party possible and maintaining the sanitary measures. We have changed the tables from 10 people to 6 or 7, more distance between tables, and cleaning everything up. For those who opt for the traditional party hall, vaccination or negative COVID-19 test is a requirement to attend the party. Reported in Los Angeles by Dulce Castellanos, this is Azul Alvarez, U News. For some of them, it's going to be more like a sweet 16 celebration. A lot has changed in the world, but the most important thing is to still be able to celebrate with family and friends and to do so in a safe manner. Congratulations to all those girls. And finally today, some more special surprises and additions to our U News family. Take a look at this. Anchor and reporter Lorraine Gassides and her husband welcoming the birth of their baby girl, Sienna Victoria, last week. Lorraine chose to wait until birth to find out her baby's gender, and we are so excited and happy to know that it's a girl. My daughters will now have a new friend. We wish Lorraine and her husband the very best, as well as Sienna. She is simply beautiful. And then also over the weekend, our anchor Carolina Sarasa and her husband also welcoming their new baby into the world, Noah Matia, arriving about three weeks before his due date. Quite a surprise. 
The couple's first child, Chloe Sophia, likely to be very excited now to meet her new baby brother, Noah. I'm sure she's going to be a wonderful big sister. We wish both mothers the very best on this new journey for Lorraine and for Carolina. Of course, it's her second child, so she's already quite experienced with this. It's a lot, a lot of work, but it's a very rewarding experience. Can't wait to meet the babies. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.